Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I am Sophia and I have Jill Angie here today. Hi, Jill. Hi. <laughs> um, oh my God, I just noticed you have dimples. You're adorable. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't comment on appearance, but I just, you just have this great smile and I just noticed. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having dimples. Um, I'm very excited to chat with you. I've been following you on Instagram. I think someone reshared. It's one of those things where someone, I think, reshared something of yours. And I think someone else was like, you should know Jill. And, and then here we are. So thank you for letting me get to know you and share you with everyone who's listening. Um, I don't want to give away what you do. So why don't you tell us what you do and a little bit about yourself? Okay. This is always the most fun part. So I am a fat running coach and I help fat women, mostly fat women over 40, but all fat women are welcome, uh, start running and, you know, do it safely and do it with confidence and build body confidence along the way. I just, I'm just, I, first of all, okay. There's so many things that I love, Jill. Okay. I love that it is, you use the word fat. I love that it's for women and I imagine women identifying as well. Yes. Yeah. Anybody who's been socialized identifies as a woman. It's all good. Yeah. Awesome. And then the over 40 part of which I am part of. (laughs) And so these three things together are like, this is so fascinating to kind of niche or in the US niche uh, down and really be clear. Like it's so clear who you work with and what you do. Um, And so we're going to, we're going to dive into that. I want to like go into those, those thing, those three things, like the over 40 and the running and the use of the word fat. Um, But let's start with your relationship, your journey with the word fat. So, so much so that you are now like, I am a fat running coach and I help other fat people. So tell me what got you to the place where you could use fat so much. (laughs) (laughs) Fat, 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 fat. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I think like most women, most humans, honestly, I was raised to believe that, you know, being fat is one of the worst things you can be. And, um, I, you know, I had a mom who was, you know, she, she used to write her calories down on a little piece of paper and like tape it to the refrigerator. So that's like what I grew up with was like, oh, we count every single thing that goes in our mouths. And I was a very rebellious kid. 
So I kind of reacted by, I'm just going to eat everything I want to, and you can go F yourself, mom. But I, I would never have said that to my mother because uh, <laughs> I would have got my mom, mom mouth washed. That was so, um, but I was, I was definitely raised to believe that women, you know, it's the job of women to be attractive, to be thin, to be polite. My mom's favorite word was poised. She's like, you need to be poised. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right. She is my mom's like, she was born in the twenties. So I was, I was kind of an unexpected, um, bonus child, <laughs> but like, so I was, I was sort of raised to, to believe that I was, you know, too big, too loud, too silly, all the things uh, I was just never quite, I never, I was never quite doing it right. And, uh, you know, I think like, subconscious or consciously I knew that I could be who I wanted to be because I was also raised to be very independent right it was so I got very mixed messaging growing up you know my parents were like oh you're gonna go to a school you're gonna go to a good school you know it's not there was never a question that I wasn't gonna go to college and that I wasn't going to you know do a very hard uh, course of study but at the same time it was like but you have to stay thin so you can find a nice man I'm like what what is happening here so I grew up with like a lot of mixed messaging and I totally lost my train of thought. But I guess like the bottom line is so so here I am like I, I think I would identify it as a feminist probably as early as college. I went to an almost exclusively male school. There was like seven men for every woman. It was an engineering school. So, you know, it was I I kind of just showed up there like not thinking that the dudes were in charge. I was just like, hey, I am who I am. I'm smart, all these things. But at the same time, I was like, but I have to be pretty and I have to be thin and I have to have a boyfriend, right? And so that led to some very confusing interactions, <laughs> very frustrating interactions and definitely like probably an undiagnosed eating disorder. <laughs> Um, and that, but I think like after I, you know, I got out of school and I became, you know, I, I moved away and like moved farther away from my parents and started kind of developing my own life and my own way of being. And I was trying really hard to lose weight and I decided to start running because I thought, and I had been like pretty active in high school. Like I was on the tennis team, I was on the swim team, and I was always the fattest person on the team. But back in those days, fat was like a size 10, you know? <laughs> Um, but I started running in my early twenties cause I thought this is going to, this is the thing that's going to help me lose weight finally, right? I'm just going to run off the pounds, run off the calories. And, uh, that did not happen, but <laughs> I did fall in love with the way running made me feel. And I think that was sort of the beginning of my journey to self-acceptance because running, running was something that I could sort of make it be how I wanted it to be. I didn't really need to fit into somebody else's mode of what running was supposed to be like. And this was, of course, way before social media. So I didn't have any influences of people telling me what I should or shouldn't do. I was just like, oh, I, I could just go out and do this thing. And, you know, over time, I kind of gave up on this whole, oh, I'm going to lose weight through running. And I was like, I'm just going to run. I'm just going to be like, you know, if I have to be fat, at least I can feel good in my body, right? Like I, and, and now I kind of like, I don't really have that. If I have to be fat, I'm just like, oh, I'm fat. That's just who I am. Like, I don't have a whole bunch of like, if then statements around it, but it, there, it took about 10 years, I think, like right, right around 2008, 2009, I was when I was sort of giving up on this idea of like, oh, I have to lose weight. And I, 
I ended up working with this personal trainer who's also a yoga teacher. And she kind of taught me about the concept of non-competition with the self and, and, and like recognizing that, you know, every day doesn't have to be better than the last. And you don't always have to be trying for a personal record. You know, always, you don't have to be constantly striving to be better than yesterday. You can just be, and that was a game changer for me. And I think that's really when my journey to self-acceptance, like kind of really, really ramped up. And then a couple of years later, I decided I hate work, hated working in corporate America, worked for a pharmaceutical company. I had, a, I had somebody else's dream job, got to travel the world. It was amazing. Um, hated it. Not the traveling part, but like everything else that went along with it. So I said, oh, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a personal training business for plus size women. Because at the time, I was still very uncomfortable with the word fat. So I use words like plus size and curvy and what's the other one? Um, voluptuous. Because I have big boobs. And so I was like, I definitely qualify as voluptuous. Um, and so I would use those words a lot. And I think like over time, I, st I started to learn you know, how plus size is really sort of an exclusionary term used by the fashion industry. And I was very frustrated by the fact that like, I had to go to a plus size store to do any kind of shopping. And I thought, well, why, like, why you want to other me? Why you got to like, put me aside? Why do you got to make me shop at a different store? So I stopped really caring too much for that term, even though it's see, I think the term plus size just feels gentler because we are socialized to believe that fat is a negative term. It even has like a sound to it, like fat. It's just like, it kind of has like a mean, abrupt sound to it. And plus size just sounds so official and kind. And, you know, um, and, and I also hate words like, I, I'm starting to learn about, you know, the BMI and how, you know, the term obesity and uh, like all the words that go along with the BMI bullshit. Um, and so, so I think like, you know, long story short, like over years, I started like, I sort of exploring what all the different words meant to me. And I was just like, there's really nothing that seems to fit, right? Like curvy. Well, like there are plenty of fat people out there who aren't curvy, who are, you know, like more straight up and down. And then there are like, so curvy isn't like, curvy is like a body type. It's not necessarily a body size. And, and I think I was kind of struggling. And finally, like a couple of years ago, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to say fat. I'm just going to be done with it. <laughs> and and that was that was a real uncomfortable evolution for me because there were many people who were did not care for my they were like please don't call me fat and I'm kind of like all right well this is you know I, I need to let them have their own opinions and their own journey and if they really don't like the word fat that's fine but this is the word that resonates with me and the people that I want to help it resonates with them as well. So yeah, I, I apologize. That was a very long-winded <laughs> explanation, but it's so good. It makes so much sense. And I love how, I mean, this is why I always ask this question because the word fat, it, it, it is, it is weaponized. And then at some point, most of the people I talk to reclaim it. And I'm fascinated by that process of how we can take something that has been so vilified our whole lives, something that has been used, we've used on ourselves to, um, to create shame spirals, to create really negative health outcomes in terms of like the stress of the word fat, not being fat. <laughs> That's fine for health. It's the stress of it and the weight stigma and the unconscious bias. And so, I just, I love hearing how something that 
we've been told to never, ever, ever in our wildest dreams, ever, don't you dare become it. Now it's like, hey, I'm fat. I work with other fat people. And in my case, I'm like, and I have a podcast called Fat Joy. Like, it's just, I think that to me, it's all constantly hopeful for our world state that if all the people listening, all the people I interview shift their belief system so dramatically, anything is possible, you know? So I I love how you just outlined that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it's also like, there are people that are going to be uncomfortable with it. Cause I think if I had met myself 10 years ago, I would have been like, she is not for me. This woman uses the word fat. Like what the hell is wrong with her? And so, but I think like it, it's like, you know, it's like the eroding of a canyon, right? It it happens like little by little. And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh, all right, I feel differently about this word now. And I have been personally, I've been practicing um, just using it in conversation with strangers. And it is it is so fun. Isn't it uh, so fun? It's so fun. (laughs) Like they're, They're just like, you could just see they're just like, Oh, oh, oh my God, she just dropped the F-bomb. Like, what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to like nod? Am I, right? Like, because if you're talking to another fat person, they're like, fine. But if you're talking to a thin person, they, they look like a deer in the headlights. It's so much fun. <laughs> I know. I, well, I did it last night. I went to my first, I have a new physio, I have a knee thing that I'm working on. And so I went to physio and she herself is bigger. I don't know. I mean, I so I know she would not call herself fat, so I will not call her fat. Um, and I know that because we were talking and I said, um, you know, as a fat person, blah, 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 blah. And she kind of like stopped and she goes, and this is after, it's really interesting because this was after she indicated that, you know, weight was not a thing to worry about with respect to my knee. Um, and, but then as soon as I said the word fat, she was like, oh, hang on, no, no, I wouldn't use the word fat for you. I would say strong or blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, I'm actually, and I said, and it was, I think it's one of the first times I said it like this. I said, no, no, I'm a fat activist and I use this word on purpose. And she kind of, she, st- and then she still objected. She was like, oh, but don't not that word, that word. I said, no, 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 the word is okay. I am fat. It's a neutral descriptor. I purposefully am using this word. And it was like, she just couldn't, like she couldn't. And and, and it was just fascinating. Someone who had literally just a couple seconds before agreed with me about very similar to what you said, the BMI being bullshit. And like, what can we do for my knee that will strengthen it so that I can be back? You know, I really love hiking um, and, you know, back on the trails. And anyway, it was just, yeah, it's so fun to use it on people and like, yeah, they don't know what to do with it. They don't. It's like you just said the word fuck in common conversation, right? They're like, what? Right? It is. But I, what I like to think that that this person is going to go hard, like went home last night and started thinking about it and maybe looked up like, what even is a fat activist? And like, maybe you've started something in her brain and you've kicked off her kind of her journey. And I think that's it. That's our work is like one mind at a time. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And I hope so. I hope so. I do this a lot now in lots of different settings <laughs> um, where I'm like, who is this like loud, kind of maybe obnoxious person? It's like, I always think I'm like, all right, here's fat woman raising her fat arm. 
I have something to say. And like, and I just feel I, this is where maybe I wonder if this is why you work with people in their forties. Cause let me tell you, when I turned 40, I was like, fuck it all. This is my goddamn life and I will live it my way. And that comes, I can say that because I come at that. I have so much privilege that allows me to say that. And I just want to acknowledge that. And it's been revolutionary to just say what I want to say, not feel like I have to temper my voice. I mean, fuck, I created a whole podcast called Fat Joy. Like two words that shouldn't exist together. Um, The reason I called it Fat Joy is when I typed in Google, there was no Fat Joy. There was only Fat Joe, who is another person. I could not, I literally even put quotes around it. I searched, I was like, Fat Joy, where's Fat Joy? Fat Joy, Fat Joy. No results. No results. Did you mean Fat Joe? No, I did not mean Fat Joe. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is the title. <laughs> wow. But it really says it all because it's it's confusing to people who are like, how can you be fat and feel joyful? Like they're, they're literally two words that nobody ever uses in a sentence together. And I think it is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Well, and I I think too, the fact that you focus on, uh, you know, you're on your Instagram, it says, I help fat women over 40 start running. That also feels like that should not exist. Right, because fat people don't run. Fat people shouldn't run. They should never be seen running. Jiggles, jiggles, jiggles and shakes. And they can't run if you're fat. You can't run. Like there's so much stereotype. I mean, if you're fat, you're obviously too lazy to run. Why would you want to? Like there's so much shit around this word. And so that's why I was, I just love, love, love Jill that you're like, no, I'm fat and I help fat women over 40 start running. Tell me about the over 40 part. I'm fascinated that you really named that so clearly. Yeah, I think partly because not partly because I think there's this there's this belief that like once you hit 40 it's all downhill. And so I think you know, I was fat in my 20s and my 30s when I started running and I know that like it was physically easier for me even as a fat person because I had 20, 30, 35 year old joints. I had you know, I had I had pre, I, I did not have perimenopausal hormones going on, right? Like I was in the the prime of my life, so to speak, which I, I like to redefine the prime of my life is like any year that I'm in is definitely the prime of my life. Cause I feel like every year gets better, but yes, yes, yes. But I think that, it, you know, I, I wrote this book in 2013 It was called running with curves. And I was, I over 40 then I must've been, I was born in 67. I can't do the math. I must've been over 40. Anyway, <laughs> It's 46. Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh God, I can't do the math either. Please don't ask me. <laughs> Let me get my calculator. <laughs> um, but I wrote this book called Running with Curves. And it wasn't really, it wasn't about a, it, to do with age or anything. And it was still at a time in my life where I was very uncomfortable with the word fat. Although on the cover, the, the subtitle of the book was Why You're Not Too Fat to Run and the Skinny on How to Start Today. And, um, and I know. And then, and then like I tried to trademark it and curves, the company curves came after me and they were like, yeah, you can't use that word. And they're like, take it down or, or we'll take it down for you. Whoa. <laughs> it was like, even though it was running with curves, they yeah, tried to take they had it. a whole thing, that a whole thing. So I was like, I talked to a trademark lawyer who said, Hey, I think you have a case, but unless you have a trust fund that you're willing to waste, he's like, let's just change the name of your business and trademark that and I'll help you do that. So that that's how Not Your Average Runner was born. Um, but 
I think like as I was, as I wrote that book, I wasn't necessarily targeting women over 40, but I started to, like people started to write to me and tell me um, how it was great that I was a runner, but they were 45. And I'm thinking, I'm older than you. Okay. Like I get women all the time. They tell me they're 40 years old. They're like, I think I'm too old. I'm like, I don't know. I'm 55. I'm still doing it. It seems that we were not okay. But I, I recognize that like women over 40, first of all, their bodies are changing, right? And so there's new aches and pains that are, that weren't there before. They can't fucking sleep anymore. They're one big hot flash. Like there's just so much going on in the body of a woman who's over 40 that has like nothing to do with your ability. And it doesn't mean that you're, there's anything wrong with you. It's just like a natural evolution. So those women are either being told or they're, you know, the, what they're, the message they're getting from their body is that running is not for them. Um, and also I, I think like, as you get older, you, you kind of get this like a little bit of a rebellious streak. And so I think women over 40 are kind of like, okay, well, if you can show me how to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to show everybody else, like, listen, this is what it's like to be over 40, over 50, over 60. And so, so I've really been tailoring my coaching and my, how I work to, to fat women and to fat women with perimenopausal and postmenopausal bodies, because that is like a, first of all, nobody's helping these women. No, nobody's like, no trainers give a fuck about you. If you're older and you're fat, they're just like, here's, here's your keto intermittent fasting diet. Come see me when you've lost 50 pounds and then I will help you, you know? So, so I realized it was a very, can I just name that what's working there is misogyny, anti-fatness, and ageism, like the, the, like all three of those things are working in that exact transaction that happens. So I was about to name the systemic piece because fuck, it's ridiculous. And like we as women who, you know, I think I, ident I told you I've identified as a feminist for most of my life, but I didn't really see all of my misogynistic patriarchal beliefs until I really started digging in and, and thinking like, oh, the reason I think that is because I was taught, right? And so my whole life I've been like, yeah, women are smart, women are amazing. And meanwhile, I'm like, but I better put lipstick on before I leave the house, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is fascinating how, how indoctrinated we are into into believing all about the system that is holding us down it is fascinating <laughs> yeah it's infuriating oh my god yeah yeah, yeah it is beautiful and can i so i want to touch back on something because i thought this is such an interesting point is you left your corporate job and this is what you started mm, well i started a personal training business first and i did that for I, you know, I did that for a few years. I was very, very fortunate to, um, to be able to kind of like carve out a space in my own house for a studio. And, um, but then, so I did that for several years and then I was kind of like building the running business as sort of a side hustle. And then I, my husband and I got divorced and I was like, listen, I cannot afford, like on my own, I could not afford a house that had space. So I shut down the personal training business and I said, I'm going to go all in on the online running. And so that like 2016 is when this current iteration of my business really started to, to grow. But yeah, I did. I just... <laughs> I walked out of my corporate job. That was a, again, I like, and I, and I recognize that a lot of what I do is a result of all the privilege that I've had my whole life. Like it's, it's rare that people are in a situation where they can just tell their husband, like, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. 
<laughs> and I like saved up my own money for a long time. Like he didn't support me, but also like, you know, I like live with somebody who was just like, all right, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. So, um, very, very grateful to, uh, to have had that opportunity for sure. Yeah. Amazing. And then, so now you focus on the, the running part, like that is kind of the main crux of your business. Yeah. That's all, that's all I do is I, well, here's the thing. It's kind of like, it's a little bit of a bait and switch. Cause, um, I, I tell people I'm going to help them start running, but then after they start working with me, I'm just like, Hey, also I'm going to help you build confidence and stop hating yes. your body. <laughs> Yay. Down with diet culture. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's so great. I mean, that's such a part of it. And, and I think if people are drawn to you and you're using the word fat, they're ready for those conversations. Yeah. This isn't, yeah. I mean, this one, also one of the reasons I like using the word is I'm not a like body positivity 101 person. Like I, I like working and talking with people who are further along in their body liberation journey and, um, yeah, I think, and I think the using the word fat is one of the ways that you can convey that to others. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I, you know, honestly, I did because I used plus size, larger bodied, you know, I've used like a variety of different words. Um, when I started going all in on the word fat, I think I mentioned this before, but I did have a lot of like my existing clients who were, you know, rightfully confused because they're like, wait, is she calling us fat? Because she says she works with fat women. And so there was, you know, there was definitely some uncomfortable discussions and a lot of people who were like, hey, I'm out. Like they opted out because they weren't ready to be hearing that word, be using that word. Um, and I, you know, around that time, I also started talking a lot about um, destroying the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there were plenty of people who were just kind of like, I, I don't buy into this whole like patriarchy is running our lives. And I'm like, all right, well, when you see it, call me. But, you know, for now, I'm not going to shove it down your throat. So I think that I think that like th that what that taught me was I need to be way more specific in my language because I don't want people to be to be like, oh, she's so amazing. And then like, then they like, you know, quote unquote, see behind the curtain and they're like, oh, wow, this isn't what I thought it was at all. So I'm, I'm like, hey, let's just be real transparent upfront. I'm just going to use the, both of the F words a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, can I just say like, that's a really powerful femis, feminist ecosystem approach because you didn't, and again, I come from a sales background, so it's been very interesting for me unlearning a lot of my own sales training. Um, and Kelly Deals, who is one of the podcast guests that people can listen to, um, taught me about this in her feminist copy, feminist, um, copywriting course, which is all about how to do your business not according to patriarchal, like exploitative capitalist approaches. And so in, when you, when people started pulling out, instead of you being like, okay, never mind, I'm going to change it. I'm going to open, I'm going to shove my truth down because I don't want to lose people, which of course it would be the capitalist approach. I'll do whatever it takes to like keep business coming. You were like, no, instead, and this is so rooted in feminist business practices and a feminist business model is I'm actually going to get even more clear. So the people who want to work with me, who align, who have similar values can find me. 
Like, that's brilliant. I just had to like point that out, Jill, because like you, it's rare to see examples of that because it's scary as hell to have people walking away from you and you're like, okay, I bless you on your journey. And okay, I need to be even more clear about who I want to work with. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, and that's literally what it was too. And it was scary as hell because I had built up a very thriving business. And then I watched it like, you know, over a period of a few months, I watched it get a lot smaller and I was like, oh shit. But, but also I'm like, I can't change who I am just, you know, Hey, I did that. I worked in corporate America for many, many years. And like, that's why I left. I left so I could be myself. And so yeah. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for noticing that. Cause there are times where I'm just like, did I do the wrong thing? And like, it's, it's helpful to have somebody be like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally, totally appreciate that. And, and wanted everyone listening to appreciate that as well. And just how difficult that is. Um, the, I often talk about the, I'm also a creative writing coach. And so the, the studio I work for, um, is also runs like, we run as a feminist business built on anti-oppressive principles and we are not for everybody. And we, we just own it, you know? And again, it's hard because there are people who are like, um, no, I want to write about certain things and I don't care if it doesn't align with your principles. And we're like, okay. And through conversation, you know, it's never like cut and dry, but like, there are people who are like, this isn't for me. And we're like, okay, great. You know, we want to be as clear as possible about what we stand for and what we're trying to create in the world, you know, and you're creating something in the world. Because when you, when you're driven by like, what, what's the kind of world that I want to live in? What's the kind of world that I want to see? It like takes it away from like, okay, I just need to make money and it puts it into like, what's the difference that I want to make? And I think like when you look outward and this is whether or not you have a business, just like in the language that you use, like with your family, with your friends and all of that, like about your body. And so like, like if you're, I, I have, um, yeah, I have a lot of friends from you know high school and college and and all that and and there's quite a few of them that have some pretty negative body language Hello, it's Sophia, and I'm jumping into this episode to invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Fat Joy podcast. If you've been enjoying the guests and their stories, please let the algorithms know by subscribing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving us a review. You'll be helping raise awareness of Fat Joy because then we'll get ranked higher on the podcast charts. I mean, we're already in the top 2.5 globally, which is amazing, but I want top 1%, please. I love doing this podcast and creating the platform for guests to share their stories. So I would be so grateful if you can help me keep doing that by subscribing, rating, and leaving a review. Thank you, lovely. Okay, back to the episode. But like the language that they use a, a, to describe their body. And it's very much like, oh, you know, like, oh, I can't be, be seen in a bathing suit because my, you know, my cellulite, my legs are too bad, whatever. And I kind of feel like, like the difference I want to make in the world isn't just through my business. It's through like impact that I have with everybody. So I, I show up to pool parties in a bikini and I'm like, hey, 
you're allowed to be fat and in a bikini. And like, and I know that it makes, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. And I'm like, sometimes it's okay to like make people feel uncomfortable. Cause I know that I'm a little bit uncomfortable too. Like knowing that they're just like, oh my God, fat woman in a bikini. What are we going to do about this? Right. Get the pitchforks. (laughs) (laughs) Get a cover up, get something. Um, But I, I feel like the discomfort that I feel in my own body is first of all, it's a, it's a vestige of my own, right. Anti-fatness beliefs that I've had my whole life that I, that I still work on, but it's also like the discomfort of, of being myself, being unapologetically myself and recognizing that not everybody likes it and still just deciding to be myself. And so that discomfort I think is worth it because I know that it changes it and it might not change the people right in front of me, but if I'm in a bikini on the beach, there might be like a teenage girl, you know, 50 yards away. Who's like, wait a minute. Right. Like, and maybe like it helps that person. So I think the discomfort is it's real. Everybody feels it, including the fat person. Um, and it's, it's worth it. It's worth it for the change. It's worth it. And I think about this all the time, especially because I also do a lot of leadership coaching, which is all about putting people into places of discomfort so they can expand and grow their range. Right. I literally, I, I was seeing the other day, I'm like, oh, so basically I just make my living is spent making people uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that because, and even my passion projects like this is all about making people uncomfortable because <laughs> I think we are so, again, capitalism would have us believe that no, no, don't be uncomfortable. Buy this thing and get your comfort, right? And so I actually think we need to be made a lot more uncomfortable a lot more often because that is where growth happens. That is how we expand and learn and do differently. And we need to, I mean, our world is so fucked up right now. It's astonishing. And so like, yeah, I, if, if I have to be a little uncomfortable for other people to experience discomfort, I'm there for it too. Just like you. I'm like, yeah, here's the bikini. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here are my legs. Look at them. Love them. Um, (laughs) so let's talk about legs. Let's talk about running. So what had I, what had you fall in love with running? Like when you said, you said earlier, um, you loved how it made, made you feel like, what was that feeling? What was it for you? I mean, there was a little bit of discomfort, physical and mental, because I, I used to run at night, like after dark, because I didn't want people to see me. Right. And then eventually like people I worked with found out I was doing it and they were like, I think this was like a great moment. This is a bit of an aside, but I was running. Um, I lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I lived in like, I had this little block that I would run around and I'd wait till it got dark and I'd run around the block. And one of my coworkers lived in my neighborhood and saw me and told other people that I work with because I was doing it all in secret. And and so I didn't realize that she told people that I was that I was running. I was training for a 5K. And um, one of my coworkers came up to me and... She's like, hey, can I tell you something? And I'm like, sure, of course. And she she whispered in my ear, I know what you're doing. And I want you to know that you're my hero. And I was like... Did you have any idea? <laughs> I know. That's I was so like, dramatic. What are we talking about here? And she's like, I know you're running. I know what I know you're training. And she was also a fat woman, right? I don't she probably wouldn't have used that word to describe herself, but I, I that was a moment for me where I and I didn't like 
you know, it didn't change my behavior overnight, but like it stuck with me for years and years and years to realize that like you never know who is watching and you never know who you're going to impact. Um, but regardless, <laughs> sorry, that was an aside. I was like, what's the original question? So I think what... I think what was so powerful for me was not that I was running fast or not that I like, I don't get a runner's high. Some people get a runner's high while they're running. I don't get it until after I'm running, but like that feeling after you're done with a workout is like, you know, you get this flood of endorphins, which feels, you know, a little bit like euphoria. It feels a lot like what I imagine heroin feels like. And, but it's free and it, it's addictive, but not in the same way. <laughs> um, but I like it, it does like, to me, it feels a little bit like a drug and it's just like, oh, it just feels so good. And, and then I think like the mental euphoria of, oh my God, I'm doing it. Oh my God, I'm doing it. So like those two things combined so that, so the mental euphoria happens like during the run and then the physical happens afterwards. And I, I really just fell in love with that because it started making me, it started changing the thoughts I was having about myself and it started changing. You know, I stopped thinking I'm just a fat lump <laughs> to he, you know, I might be fat, but look what my body could do. And, and, you know, it still wasn't like the most positive of things, but it was definitely a step up from like, I'm just a fat lump that no man will ever love. Right. So I think that was it. I think like it, it just like cracked open the door for me to like, you don't have to hate yourself all the time. And that, that was powerful. And I wasn't super consistent with it. Like I would run consistently for a few months and then I would like quit for a couple months. It were like, so it was like kind of off and on, but like, then it just became more on than off. And then it just became like a thing that I do. And yeah. Wow. And I love what you said before about this um, lesson around or this kind of learning or, I don't know, perhaps integration point with yourself around non-competition with self. I think that is beautiful as well. And it sounds like like you brought that in also, like when you were like coming and going for me, it wasn't like every run had to be better than the last because that's not why you were doing it. Yes. And I think like the fitness industry will tell you that you should always be striving to get faster. You should always be striving to get stronger. And I mean, the fitness industry, the, the patriarchy teaches us that. I was going to say, tell me why they do that, Jill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's always like, it's always about winning. It's it just, oh, it's so gross. But um, I I have really striven to, striven, is that a word? Stri I strive <laughs> I start, yeah. Striven? Yeah, I actually don't Stri know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. We need a calculator and a thesaurus or a Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I strive to include that messaging in everything that I teach that, you know, hey, like I'm all for going for that personal record when you're running a race or whatever, but like, don't make that your, your benchmark of whether you're a good runner or not or whatever. Like, there's no such thing as the best runner. Like there's just, I mean, I guess technically you could say, well, the person who took the gold medal in the Olympics is the best runner. I don't know. But like, like that's like so far afield from, <laughs> from like the, you know, the vast, the vast majority of humanity that I just feel like if we could take the competition out of running and not just like this whole belief that like, oh, I'm not competing with others. I'm just competing with myself. Like stop fucking competing with yourself. Like just let yourself run. Like you don't, 
when you get up in the morning and brush your teeth, you're not like, oh, I did so much better than yesterday. My teeth are cleaner, right? You're like, no, I brush my teeth the same way. And because I like the result, like you can approach running the same way. I love that metaphor, that analogy so much. I got 20% more coverage on my teeth today. <laughs> like it's, I think that with, with certain things like with sports, with bodies, like anything where the patriarchy has kind of like told us that this is how you should be doing it. That's where we we're constantly have this, like this culture, this hustle culture of like, I gotta be like just a little bit better just a little bit better. And yeah, actually you don't, you can just, you can suck at running and still be, I suck at running. I am a terrible runner. Like my, I told you before, my superpower is that I can run and not fall down. Like that's literally it. Like the rest of it, I'm not a great runner. Like I'm great at coaching other people. <laughs> Myself, I'm a very mediocre runner and I'm totally happy with that. Cause I just, I just like, I just, uh, you know, I'm privileged enough to be able to run and feel fairly safe, you know, as long as I do it in certain areas and not after dark, but you know, I'm privileged enough to be able to go out there and like sign up for races and buy the gear and do all the things. And like, that doesn't go unnoticed by me. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm just like, that's enough. That's more than enough. I do not need to win a race. I don't need to constantly be getting, you know, better. I'm just good. I'm good with it. Yeah. It really brings it back to that idea of what is enough and how that is so warped for, for us because we've been told, Oh no, nothing is enough. Buy more. <laughs> <laughs> to get to enough. So the, it's really revolutionary to be like, I run and that's enough. Like, that's it. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. I love that so much, Jill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you work with people, I'm imagining there are some patterns around people's worries or concerns as they start. Like, what do you hear from people? Like, oh, I can't run or I couldn't never do this because or, but what if this, like, what are some of the things that you hear? I would say the two most common, three most common. The number one is I'm going to, I'm going to hurt my knees. My doctor told me I can't run because I'm too fat and I'm going to destroy my knees. So that's number one. That is a huge myth. Yes. Very frustrating because I, I mean, the vast majority of, you know, I, well, I, I'm not even going to get into all the reasons why it's wrong, but um, so that's the most common one I would say. Um, and then I also hear from people that like, they're afraid they don't want to run outside. They don't want to run in public because people are going to see them and they're going to, people are going to have opinions about their body or, or if they're comfortable running outside, they're like, but I have to wear long sleeves and it'll be like 90 degrees in the summer and they're in long sleeves and long pants. Cause they're like, I don't want people to see my body. I'm like, people can see your body. It's just a matter of whether they can see your skin or not. And so unless you're, in, unless you're from a culture like a modesty culture where like literally your religion or, you know, the way you, you were raised teaches you, like you have to keep these certain body parts covered. Like let's free the arms. Let's please <laughs> see some tank tops. Let's see some shorts when it's hot. Cause it is a safety issue. Right. But it, it truly is. That's, I think it's the body. It's, it's the, the belief that like, if your body is fat, you need to cover it up. Right. Like, so there's a lot of people that struggle with that. And then there's, you know, the final thing I think is, what if I can't like, like every time I try to run, I can't breathe. 
it's too hard for me to breathe. I run out of breath. And so I'm just not cut out to be a runner. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to slow down. Um, we're going to teach you how to do intervals. Like really, like that is, that is the answer. That is like the easiest problem to solve. Like the body confidence is a much more, you know, it takes a lot more work and, you know, the knees like, yeah, we need to do some strengthening work and so forth. But like, I can, I can fix your breathing issues on day one. <laughs> and it really is is slow it down and and do like run walk intervals and it's like boom problem solved yeah i love that i interviewed i don't know if you know um the slow af run club uh yes yeah i had a uh, yeah i recorded with martinez um evans and um that's it was really interesting talking to him too around that and that was just that idea of slowing down of doing intervals and that's kind of what got him noticed because people were noticing and i think he was wearing a shirt that's something like that said something like the slow af or i run slow af and um yeah it's just it's i'm these objections what i'm taking what i'm the point i'm trying to make very incoherently um that i'm remembering from my conversation with him and that you're reminding me of and that you do is like these objections actually really they're not I don't know if this is the right word, but they're not like authentic objections. They're actually objections based on information that we have been erroneously given, you know, around like, and the doc, like the doctor piece. So I actually, I know you said, I don't want to go all into it, but can you say like one or two things about why this, like my doctor said, I can't run because of my knees is actually bullshit for a lot, a lot of people, other people, maybe not, but like, just because you're fat does not mean you can't run because of your knee joints. Yeah. Yes. Well, so first of all, I know plenty of thin people who have bad knees. So it is not being fat that that quote unquote ruins your knees. And for most people, fat or otherwise, when you're running and you have knee pain, it is very rarely something structural in the joint and almost always due to uh, a, a muscle imbalance or a weakness, usually like maybe in your glutes or your quads that are are like kind of pulling your knee joint a little bit out of alignment as you run. And so if you build strength, right, if you build strength tactically by going to a physical therapist or, or you know, going to a sports doctor, right, like your knees are supported, you're going to be fine. And like running is a high impact activity and high impact activities actually stimulate bone growth and stimulate joint health. So running is truly good for your knees. So the most of, most of the time when somebody's like, oh, I feel pain in my knees, it's like, first of all, where is the pain? Because the knee is a complicated joint and there are many different places that you feel pain. And, you know, very often it's something like IT band syndrome or uh, patellar tendonitis or something, which is, again, it's easily fixed. Now, there are people who have arthritis in their knees. I am one of them. Um, I have it spots in my knee joints where it is literally bone on bone. Um, my meniscus is like ragged. <laughs> right? It's got like all kinds of little like micro tears everywhere. And I don't have knee pain when I run because of all the strength training that I do. And so I think that that's like, uh, like... It's just kind of lazy for your doctor to say, don't run because you're going to hurt your knees. What they really mean is, I don't want to go into really literally what I just did. I don't want to go into telling you all the things that you might have to do to be able to run comfortably because, you know, it's just easier to tell you not to do it. And so, yeah, so it really is like, I, I think that running is great for your knees. And I think that thin or fat, 
the reason people have knee problems is because of muscle weakness. And because a lot of runners are told like, don't strength train, just run. And women are told like, don't strength train because you're going to get bulky. I'm like, listen, I'm already fat. Like some extra muscle is not going to make much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it would be, it's actually pretty, not impossible, but pretty unrealistic to like, feel like, oh, I'm going to lift some 10 pound dumbbells and suddenly be like bulky, like Arnold. No, like are the it, our bodies just can't actually do that unless perhaps there are some enhancers taken, but that's not what we're talking about, like steroids and stuff. So like, yeah, I'm, I am glad you just explained that because it, it is because we, again, talking about power, our doctor says something we don't, often think to question because they, they're the doctor, they know. And I'm forever on this podcast whenever health stuff comes up being like, question your doctor, do your own research, understand that they have been trained a certain way and been influenced a certain way. And, and like you said, you know, if they have five minutes per patient, they're not going to like pull out the model of the knee and show you the different joint. And like, they, they're just going to be like, just don't do it. You're fat, but still lose weight. Like, again, like this is the whole, this is the whole ridiculousness of it all. So, yeah, it is. And I had, I think like that point was driven home really, really well for me. It was like 2019 and I had decided that I was going to, it was 2018. I was going to train for the 2019 Philadelphia marathon and I was having problems with my knee and like really bad. I was like this, uh, they hurt. They don't feel good. Like, so I went to see an orthopedic doctor and he put a shot in my knee and this might have been even mid 2017. Anyway, he put a shot in my knee. We tried like, it was like a gel shot or something. So we tried like a cortisone shot, didn't work, tried a gel shot, like kind of sort of worked, but not really. And finally, you know, I was in his office. I was like, listen, nothing's working. What do you suggest? And he's like, well, I think it's time for surgery. Like we're going to have to go in and scope out the knee and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, well, I start training for the Philadelphia Marathon in, in February. Like, do you think I'll be ready to go by then? And he looked at me and he's like, I really don't think a marathon is a good idea for you at your... And then he paused and he said, age. And I'm oh, like... cop out. Just say it, dude. Just say it. <laughs> I know. And I was just like... Okay. All right. And he's like, cause I'm the same age as you. And I know that I can't run the way I used to. And I was like, okay. All right. I was like, well, thanks very much for your time. And he's like, well, let's get that surgery scheduled. And I was like, I'll be in touch. Right. And I left and I called a, a, a cause then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, well, he's a surgical orthopedist. So of course he's going to want to have some sort of invasive technique. Right. And so I was like, I, like, what are my options? And I was like, is there such a thing as a non-surgical sports doctor? Yes, there was. Went to one of those. He was bat. I was like, I found my people. <laughs> and I know like he walked in and he was a fat guy. And I was just like, I, I mean, I wanted to kiss him. I was like, that's not appropriate. Don't kiss your doctor. Um, but I felt like, oh, I'm going to be understood. I'm going to be heard. And, and I was. And then like, you know, three months later, I was like back on training, no knee pain and like, haven't really had any issues since in, in five years. So, so was it muscular? Is that the, what changed? Like it was did 100% muscular. Yeah, it really was. It was like, my glutes were just like too weak to, and, and like my, they, basically my glutes were weak and my kneecaps were getting like pulled out of alignment. That's what's and, happening with me right now. Yeah. That's why I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. And then it yeah. really, it made a difference. I mean, it took several months of very focused effort and then I have to, you know, like I was going twice a week to PT and then I was doing like homework and stuff, but 
Uh, yeah, but like once, once you know, once that was like taken care of, like then it's just maintenance, and then it's then you're like, oh, this is. And the beauty of like all of that strength training is it makes you a stronger runner over, like gives you more endurance overall. So it's like it works. It's good. And I just want to point out too. Uh, so <laughs> I, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon, my mom was a physicist, so I know a little bit of stuff. Um, but because what I'm thinking is, if you again had just been like, oh, well, this doctor said this, not putting together, which a lot of people don't, not putting together that, oh, of course, a surgeon will only see surgical options. Um, then you could have had what, a knee replacement, a scope, whatever they were going to do. That would, that's time limited, only lasts so long. And then, and you would have had to like give up this thing basically that is your joy. And I just, Oh God, people listening, question your doctor, know that whoever you're seeing, they're only going to see solutions within that sphere. And, you know, there are so many resources, including the Health at Every Size health sheets that Reagan Chastain does that you can like look at. I'll include a link. I include so many. I linked these, this resource so many times, but I'll include another link because there's actually a joint knee kind of health sheet that provides additional information for people to just question. Don't anyone who's in a position of power over you do not trust what they say. They are in power. They want to retain power. Question, question, question. Okay, that's my soapbox. <laughs> One of many yeah. this episode. I love it though. I love it. <laughs> and but and I also would say like we we think that the doctor is in a position of power over us, but I like they're really not. Like I think we're the ones who have the power. Yes. Cuz we can just walk away. I mean it, and like granted if you're if you're dealing with something like a cancer diagnosis or or where you need like a rare treatment like yes, for sure there's like a different dynamic, but like if you're just if you're in there for knee problems like you're, the doctor is not the boss of you in uh, in any way. I love that. You're not the boss of me. You're not um, the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially and because we know that doctors have deeply, deeply embedded, it was given to them in medical school, deeply embedded anti-fat bias. So it's really hard for some, them, for doctors to see beyond that. Um, and so I think this is just such a great example, Jill, of like questioning choosing a different path and it's it's kept your world open in the way that that you want it to be it's great it's really great um what do you hear from people who like never thought that they could run they start they do interview training they go slow they stop competing with themselves like what's what's their journey that you see happening oh it's so good. It's like my favorite of, uh, to, to like, cause there are people out there who are like, I know I can run. I just need to figure out how to do it. And those people are amazing. But then there's the people who are like, this is bullshit. I don't believe you. I had, I actually had one client who was like, you cannot teach anybody to run and I'm going to be the person that proves it to you. And now she's run several marathons. <laughs> marathons. She's running freaking marathons. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Um, so yeah, but I think generally the journey is like, I'm, this is what often happens. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna learn how to run a little bit. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, you know, maybe I'll lose some weight and you know, whatever. Um, but a lot of times it's like, Hey, I just like, I'm, I just turned 40. I just turned 50. I just turned 60. I want to keep up my fitness. I just want to move more. Right. And running seems like a great way to do that. And so I teach them how to do intervals. And 
they start doing it and they're doing it like two or three times a week. And they're like, yeah, I feel kind of good. I'm always, I'm in a better mood a lot of the time, you know, like I don't, I'm not quite as pissed off at everybody. (laughs) And then they kind of say, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just sign up for a 5k. Like, let's just see what happens. Right. And they sign up for a 5k and they do the 5k and they cross the finish line and they're like, oh my God, that was amazing, right? And maybe they get like a medal and a free banana and they're like, this is the best thing ever. And then they sign up for another one and then they like do a bunch of 5Ks and then they're kind of like, all right, well, now this doesn't feel hard anymore. What's next? And then they, you know, maybe they do a 10K and then ultimately they're like, actually, I think I'm going to do a half marathon. And so, you know, not as many people go on to do the marathon, not because they can't, but because it's a huge time commitment. And it is a huge mental commitment. Um, but I do, I would say like probably half of my new running clients, I should, I should figure out statistics on this, but I'd say like at least half of them start out with a 5k and then like next thing you know, like it's a year later and they're like, okay, I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. And, and maybe they do one, maybe it's one and done because they just want to say they did it, but then maybe they get kind of, you know, wrapped up in it and they are like, they're doing the Disney races and all the other things. So. That's that's really really fun to watch because because it's not just the physical transformation like that's the least of it it is the mental transformation of you know thinking that you're somebody who's not athletic and suddenly becoming somebody who's doing something that that's you know a pretty difficult thing and then it sort of whoops and then it sort of uh, it translates elsewhere in your life because you're like well if I did that hard thing then maybe there's something else I could do, right? Like maybe I'm going to go back to school or maybe I'm going to like go for a different promotion or maybe I'm going to write a book, right? Maybe I'm going to start my own business. So it's, I think that is like the true benefit of all the running, like, yes, it lowers your resting heart rate, you know, all the things, but it is who you become that I think really, um, you know, that's what lights me up to see that transformation happen in other people. And I think it's the thing that stays with you forever. Like it's the fitness is great, but like the mindset change is that's, that's permanent. That's something amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that. And I'm going to steal this from Glennon's podcast. It's like, we can do hard things. Like we know, we learn, we can do hard things. And this is a hard thing that I did. So what other hard things can I do? Like that's, oh my God, when people's like, when, people suddenly open to all the possibilities. It really is like the best. And I love that you get to witness and you get to hold space for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm like, should I ask this question? Should I not? But I'm gonna ask it. Uh, so as people are, you know, running year over year, do their bodies change? Do they stop becoming fat? No. Right. Okay. That was like, I mean, some people do, Right. I would say there's a small population of people who are running in conjunction with, you know, a, a maybe they were like only 20 pounds, quote unquote, overweight. Right. I, I fucking hate that word, but you know what I mean? Um, and, and like running and they've never tried to lose weight before in their life. And so like, literally like running was just, it was just like a calories in calories out. And I think for some people, it is that very small proportion of people. Um, and then I've, I've got quite a few clients who have had weight loss surgery and like drastically dropped a lot of pounds, like quickly. Um, but the vast majority are just like, no, you know, like maybe they're, maybe like the, their body composition changes a little bit or they have more muscle and strength. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So your body definitely changes, but I, 
you know, like just from running, I, I honestly can think of maybe one or two clients that have actually had like a huge, a huge weight change. And the other thing is like the majority of those folks, not, not the majority. I mean, they're, they're really heavily met a couple, but it, like when you have like this huge weight loss, like it does tend to like your body is like, Oh my goodness. Like, let's fix that. <laughs> let's fix that. And so there usually is, you know, sort of a rebound weight gain, um, after, after the fact. And I, you know, a lot of things, I think that's just, it can be very frustrating when you're, when your whole identity is like, Oh my God, look at me. I ran off all this weight. I'm so, and right. And there's that whole like moral victory of like, now I'm thin and like, yay me, I've done everything right. And like, and then it can be crushing to realize like that the weight starts to come back and you feel like you don't have any control over that. And like, so there's a, I don't know, I, it's probably not the place to get into that, but short answer, no running, running isn't really the best weight loss plan. Yeah. Well, and I, the, I was hesitating to ask because I, I assumed the answer would be no, because we know that, you know, the determinants of body size are not just food and exercise. In fact, it's like, that's like a really small percentage of what actually determines our body size and our health. And so I was kind of, I was like, oh, I hope the answer is yes. I felt like a lawyer asking a leading question. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm assuming the answer is yes. I hope she'll say yes. Um, because I was like, that just, it just, again, like this is such a hard thing for generally most people to wrap their minds around because we've been told, oh, just, you know, cut down on what you eat, restrict your food, exercise more, and your body will become quote unquote, like thin or what it's supposed to be, quote unquote, supposed to be. Um, and it's just, we just know it's just not true. Body diversity is a thing. And there are like two, I was talking with um, Dr. Monica Peralta about kind of the determinants of health and body size. And like, we know there's like, it's some, I even have a graph. It's like 223 determinants. Like it's so much stuff, Jill. And so it's how arrogant and again, stomach piece here around patriarchy and capitalism and blah, 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 all the, that we assume, oh, I'll just, I'll start running and, and restrict my eating and my whole body will change. And then I will be happy. And it's just setting people up for that mental anguish because that is, it's just not true. Um, and so making it not about intentional weight loss, having it be about the joy of movement, about feeling strong in your body, about that kind of mental mindset shift that happens. Like that's, that's exciting. And I love that people are getting that. Yeah. 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 And I think that's it. Like, I, and honestly, like there may, there may be people out there that are losing a bunch of weight through running and I don't see them because the people that are coming to me have have gotten to the point in their life where they're just like, uh, weight loss is not the key to the universe and I just want to be happy. And this running thing looks like it's going to make me happy. <laughs> so I, yeah. So like, it's not like I have like all this data, but I can tell you anecdotally from the folks that I work with, like, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not like you're going to start running and suddenly you're going to be like, look at me. I'm so thin. I'm, I'm my own best example of that because I did for years and years in my twenties and thirties when it should have worked, <laughs> right? Like ran, 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 tried to start myself and like would lose like maybe 10 or 15 pounds and then like gain it right back. So yeah. Yeah. I know our bodies. Yeah. Our bodies are going to, our bodies going to be bodies. They're going to do what they want to do and how they're programmed through all those 226 or whatever it is, 23 determinants. 
Um, okay, let's talk about joy. So you are just generally, I like, I feel like you're such a joyful person, <laughs> Jill. Um, what, what is your relationship to joy? Oh, wow, that is a good question. I think I, I seek joy out all the time. Like, so it's interesting. Uh, like, I think some people are born or maybe they're taught, I don't know if it's nature versus nurture, believing that like joy isn't a thing, that joy isn't something worth pursuing, that like you just, your job is to just exist as a human and work hard and raise people that, you know, raise families that work hard, right? And and I kind of was raised in that environment. So maybe it is just nature because I am a, big believer in seeking joy, seeking pleasure, and just like, like, and it's not even like I walk around like in this with this big happy balloon over my head, right? Like, I just, I guess I kind of believe in like moments of deep joy, and also just a general sense of well being, like just walking through the world, like, like, not hating on myself all the time and maybe maybe joy is like the absence of not hating on myself Gosh, i don't this is like i've never really thought about joy like i'm just like oh this is just a thing that like this is just how i am like i'm always trying to to find joy but not necessarily at the expense of other things i don't i don't know Say, tell me what is your definition of joy like what is your relationship to joy yeah um I think joy is something we open up to and turn towards. And I think what I, what I like about that, I think I, my bias here would be that I really believe in choice. Um, and there's a lot of situations where we don't have choice, but I do believe again, because of systemic oppressions, I can't choose to change my doctor's opinion. I can't choose for black people to stop being killed. Like there's so much that is not within our control, but I, 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 I think maybe my way of being okay with this world is the belief that within myself, within my own brain, within my own heart, within my own soul, within my own body, I can choose to open up and be available for joy. And then when I do that, suddenly joy is everywhere. Right? Like that's, I'm glad you asked. Cause I actually, I'm like, oh, I ask this question all the time and I'm like, have I really thought about it deeply? Um, because I, and it's interesting. I listened to, um, oh, I forget her name ah, about a podcast person that I really like who said, who was like, no, joy is never a choice. Joy is just something that happens. It's kind of given to you by God at certain times. And I was like, oh, I totally disagree with you completely yeah because i feel like it's 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 about how we hold our own selves in given moments and what we want to open up to because i can certainly i mean i'm filled with rage most of the day um because of our world and the way it's constructed i mean it's literally why i created a podcast about joy because i was just filled with rage all the time i'm like i need a different i need something different um <laughs> so like you love this right? i feel you i feel you yeah, so hard on like, this yeah rage rage um and there's also a joy in that rage. Like I actually feel joyful when I'm also rageful and wrathful. Um, so yeah, I think that's how I think about it. Like I open to it. I purposefully choose it. 
And I, I think it's like I choose to see joy also. Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, I love that. Because I think that's it. Like you have to actively choose, right? Like I think of an example is like, <laughs> like my cat will just like cough up a hairball, you know, and like, and I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake, now I have to clean that up. But then also like there's the joy of watching her like, I don't know, like sometimes she'll do something really cute. This is a terrible example, but like she'll do something really cute. <laughs> like she'll cough up a hairball and then like scare herself with her tail or something. Right. And so like, like it's in that moment, I like feel very joyful that I have like this ridiculous cat, you know, it, while I'm feeling annoyed that I have to like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's a terrible yeah. example, but I think it's possible. Like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I wonder if like feeling joy is just like the act of connecting with your emotions, regardless of what they are. Ooh, that's interesting. Right? Like, oh. like you're feeling rage, but also like just kind of recognizing like this is an intense emotion that I'm feeling right now. And, and just kind of maybe being in wonderment of like the human experience or something. I don't, I don't know. I love that because that reminds me of like what, what we talk about with like being in a state of deep presence, like, and it kind of like witnessing our own humanness when we are deeply present in given moments and how, yeah, because I do think like, yeah, because that, that is a joyful act. Like the act of connecting to our own selves is joyful. Yeah. Ooh, I love that we just went philosophical. But it's literally the only thing in this world that we have control over is what we think yeah, is what we think and like how we notice our own human experience because we can't control anything else. No, no. Contrary to what all the systemic oppressions would have us believe, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's why I'm kind of fascinated by this concept of joy because, yeah, like it, what a gift that we get to choose to open to it and have it flow through us, you know? And then there's all kinds of things like, what your experience of running is where you know that you can create joy for yourself by going for a jaunt, you know, and like, yeah. And it's like, so that's a, that's a great, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that running, running overall is a joyful experience, but the individual moments of running do not always feel joyful. In fact, sometimes they, they feel the opposite, like, and and I think like in connecting to that discomfort and just being willing to be uncomfortable and continue doing it, like that's kind of where the joy comes from. Because when I think about running, I, I feel, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, I get to run. This is amazing. Right. Like, even if like right now, like my, my running has been a lot less than it usually is. And it's, you know, just various circumstances or whatever. And I'm just like, okay, well, I went out and ran a half mile today and I just felt joyful afterwards. Also, there was coffee at the end. So that may have had something to do with it. But um, but it, it is like, joy. I feel like joy is not the same as euphoria, right? It's like joy is, is I, yeah, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to think about this a lot. 
I, you're gonna have to come on my podcast and we're gonna have to talk all about joy. I 100 percent will come on your podcast okay. and talk about this because like because now when you're like now I'm like oh what is the difference between joy and euphoria is one more body is one more mind I'm like oh my god like I totally want to have a deeper conversation <laughs> what is joy um I love it thank you Jill this has been such a joyful and euphoric conversation I've loved meeting you and um yeah everyone's listening check out check out Jill, connect with her. And um, Jill, is your, can people work with you virtually? They can. That is the only yes. way you can work with me, oh, actually. Well, perfect. <laughs> 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 yeah. So location doesn't matter. No, it does not. It does not. And actually we have, um, I have, I literally have uh, clients. I have uh, people I work with all, all over the planet. So um yeah, super fun. But yeah, if you're interested, um, I have uh, well, I have, a, I have a free 30 day starter plan, which you can grab um, over at my notyouraveragerunner.com website, and uh, it's just right there. Like you go to the website, boom, it pops up. Um, but if you're interested in like actually joining my coaching program, if you go to runyourbestlife.com, um, all the information is there. But we call it Run Your Best Life because we are running, obviously, but the act of running and the way I teach running um, has all of those beautiful repercussions for the rest of your life. Like the rest of your life just seems to get better when you become a runner. So um, run your best life is my coaching program. And you can always find me on Instagram um, again at not your average runner. And I say, uh, I say a lot of things over there. So it's a, it's a follow me. You'll either, you'll either get pissed off and hate me or you will love me. There is no, there is no middle ground. <laughs> It'll be very clear. I, again, love that. Love the clarity. Um, and I, of course, will post all the links in the episode description so people can find it. Jill, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat with you. Yes. Thank you. Same. I'm so glad we connected. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about, expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. I really loved my conversation with Jill, and I keep thinking about her description of, of running and how it kind of opens us up to new feelings, new ways of being in the world. And it reminded me of this poem by Alice Walker called What It Feels Like. So here it is. As if I've swallowed a watermelon and sidestepping my digestive tract, it has lodged in my heart. There it lies, green and whole, with a luscious red heart of its own, daring me to cut. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. 
All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon.